What's up, everyone? Welcome to Dipped in Tone. I'm Rhett. I'm Zach. We're back with another episode, not in person. And we actually fooled a lot of people with the last episode because your two-tone walls back there. Uh, am I over here? Yeah. Or am I over here? People were like, God, it was a full 15 minutes in before I realized they were in the same room. <laughs> that happens with Matthew and I all the time. And it's like, I, like ha- the, the, the editing work that it would take to be that seamless. Like, uh-huh. in, like man, like I would that's not us <laughs> being here with after effects and masking and all that kind of stuff yeah we have corridor digital like how do they do this <laughs> oh man what's uh what's new what's been going on uh i've, I've been i've riddled with sickness uh <laughs> i had a cold and now that cold has turned into pink eye uh it's either from that or the game that we play at the shop where we just poke each other in the face i don't know uh <laughs> and gross, uh, i'm trying to hide it by <laughs> by uh furrowing my brow a little bit but uh, yeah just i don't know it's, I, it's being a dad you just get sick all all the time it's just part of it uh, yeah so. yeah really but, making but, the case for parenthood <laughs> but apart from that uh things have been good uh gearing up for the the end of the year um it's crazy like that it, it's it's almost over 2023 is almost over it's blowing my mind yeah but uh what about you Man, we were in um, Stillwater, Oklahoma for a few days uh, mm-hmm. with Josh and Nick and Bell, the JHS crew. Um, it's kind of a weird sort of combination of worlds, but we're big into cycling in the gravel world. And there's this unbelievably cool bike shop there run by a guy named Bobby called District Bicycles. And Bobby puts on this event each year called the Mid-South, which is this 100-mile gravel race and endurance festival. And uh, it's this coming year, it's in March, this coming March. Um, it's music has always been a component of it, but he's turning it more into a music festival in conjunction with the race. And so, um, the, we'll be there. I'll be there playing with, hopefully with Nick from JHS and possibly there with good trouble. So be on the lookout for that. If you're in the Oklahoma area, Stillwater in March for the mid South come out. But, um, we were there to, we turned the bike shop into a recording studio for two days and uh, brought a bunch of bands in from Oklahoma City and Tulsa to record them and film them. We had a full film crew. I brought um, this the Tascam Model 24 mixer. I flew that out and kind of set up and I was engineering and producing. Um, it, it was honestly one of the coolest things I've done all year. Tilly and I had a great time. And dude, the bands that they got out, uh, I mean, I think Tulsa... I mean, obviously, Tulsa's got a storied music history, you know, Leon Russell, JJ Kale, um, all that stuff. But I think Tulsa, Oklahoma and Oklahoma City might be two of the biggest slept on music cities in the U.S. There's some serious heavy hitting music coming out of those cities right now. So um, and Stillwater is like right in between Tulsa and OKC. So um yeah, we had a blast. So look out for that stuff. I'll be promoting it more. Um, but it's called the Mid South. Really cool race. But if you're not into bikes, it's also a music festival. So um, cool. Yeah, that's what we were nice. doing. Well, uh, before we get to our our uh, illustrious guest, I want to thank everybody who supports us over on Patreon. If you want to join the Patreon, we are we are transitioning uh, some of our Discord stuff to be uh, more Patreon centric because Patreon is. Uh, uh, kind of reinforcing the social aspect of their website. So we're trying to get more uh, 
active on the app and stuff. And I know, I know it's another app to download, but uh, it's a better way to connect with us to communicate directly and uh, kind of keep plugged in. And we're going to try our best to do a better job. It's just um, forgive us and bear with us because uh, all of us, uh, myself, Rhett, and then Premier Guitar, we, we, we have a lot of hands in a, a lot of different things, obviously. But if you want to support the show, check out our Patreon and uh, check out the tiers and um, see if it's the right fit for you. Yeah, it's cool. The The new app actually is awesome. And we've been having a good time like chatting with with people over there. You can watch the show live as we tape it, sit in uh, with interviews like our guest today, Aaron Marshall, uh, live while we're actually recording. So if you want to support the show, check out the link in the description box to Patreon. And then also we want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, which is Stumac. Holidays are coming up and uh, Stumac is a great place to do the holiday shopping for the guitar player or musician in your life. I said it in the last episode, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's a really good idea. Um, if you're a guitar player, go on Stumac and build out like a kit, a maintenance kit of stuff, of tools that you can take on the road with you, take to gigs, you know, and and then just send that, send your shopping cart to a loved one. Just say, hey, look, um, you know, a gift card to Outback Steakhouse is great, but instead what I would get more uh, use out of this year is this wonderful little uh, toolkit that I curated. And uh, here it is, ready to go. And the beauty of that is if someone, uh, if, if multiple people get you the same thing, it you can never have enough uh, tools <laughs> in gig bags and cases in um, your backpack. Those are things you always need. So definitely uh, take Rhett's advice. Go to studentmac.com yeah. and check this out. Stumac.com, Dipped in Tone, links in the description. Thank you to Stumac for sponsoring today's episode. Um, today, we've got Aaron Marshall from the band Intervals on. Aaron's a friend of Zach and I. I've seen Intervals before. They're incredible. Um, and Aaron's a great guest. He's a good time. And uh, yeah, can't wait to show you the interview. Aaron, what's up, man? Welcome to Dipped in Tone. I'm good, man. How are you? Good, dude. Thanks for Thanks for joining us. This has been a long time. A long time coming, you know. I think last time you and I hung out in Atlanta, I think we talked about having you on. So, yeah, yeah, we might have talked. We might have talked about this when I ran into you at the Atlanta airport on the way to Gearfest as well. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we went to the Delta Lounge, That's um, right. which is no longer an option now. Rest in peace, Delta Lounge. Rhett's all fancy with the lounge and stuff. Not anymore, was, man. Oh man. No, yeah, you have to spend like I, I forget what it is, but they've they've completely changed all the rules because it used to be you could just like pay a yearly membership and get in and we fly enough that it was worth it and then they just changed it and now you have to use their credit card and you have to spend an exorbitant amount of money no. on their credit card to get in that damn lounge so no, let's let's not give delta any further promo no no that's enough so <laughs> that's uh, cool well yeah, this is man. sick though yeah nice to nice to be on i am uh I am an avid watcher and consumer of of the podcast and and of all of your various wares. My uh, amp is covered in a bunch bunch of Mythos pedals downstairs currently, and uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I don't have to gas them up too much, but Red knows I've been watching his YouTube channel for a long time, so let's go. <laughs> yeah, man. Sick. I have to admit too, you have uh, my favorite band shirt that I wear is an, is the intervals shirt that I bought at the Atlanta show. You have you, the strongest merch game of any live act I've seen in recent memory. Honestly, let's go. Let's go. That's sick, man. Thank you. Um, you got my favorite piece from that spread. 
um, which they're no longer. We sold them all out on the on the Tesseract tour. We just finished up and we're doing all new everything for the new year now. So you got to yeah, you got the one of the last ones. Okay, so it's not typical dipped in tone sort of material, but I'm curious about that because I'm I'm serious. Like we see a lot of shows every year and the intervals merch setup was brilliant. So how how do you go about doing that and what's sort of your thought process behind picking pieces and and all that stuff? Yeah. Um well, I appreciate that you say that because um, I don't know. The merch thing is so important. I, I think there's like the long standing sort of like trope or cliche of like, you know, touring, a touring band is just a traveling t-shirt shop that gets to play music for 40 minutes or whatever, which is, you know, that old adage is, is, uh, accurate, but, um, it really is important in the sense that like, I don't know. I've always approached like the whole show from the perspective of like what it felt like to like walk through the doors at a venue as like a young show goer and all of the various impressions I had on my way to like walking up to the barricade and seeing the band and then all the takeaways, you know, I was kind of like one of those young show goers who was like almost slightly more concerned with like, what are crew members doing and what's going on here and how's that work? And like thinking about the nuts and bolts of stuff. So merch is always really important, especially because it is one of those first waves that, uh, you know, the, the audience sort of interacts with. Uh, and it is important for, you know, feathering the nest on tour. And it's really tough out there these days. It's always has been. Um, so I think with all that said, I just try to prioritize the merch experience as something that is exciting for fans. And not only that, um, you need to be able to pull in attention from individuals in the room that, that may not know about your band or whatever, you know, given if you're on a support tour or whatever. So, um, yeah, we've always just tried to really make sure that we're coming correct. I think there was definitely a shift in the way we approached merchandising from like 2019 and on. I think once we started to get more substantial support offers, that's just me sort of like compensating and being like, Oh, we're out with these, like, pardon me, these really professional acts. We got to come with our a game. It's one thing to be like, let's practice a lot. Let's make sure front of house is dialed. Let's look amazing with the production. And it's another thing to think about all those those sort of like uh, satellite uh, aspects of, of the experience as well. So um, the, the biggest thing is really just taking a look at what contemporary band merch looks like and what our sort of like, yeah, peers and 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 sort of other other acts that we are sort of shoulder to shoulder with in the genre and try to do something different. Um, uh, it can be as simple as working with different artists. It can be as extreme as just saying, no, I don't want my merch to look like band merch. I want it to look like lifestyle pieces, streetwear. I want to model it after uh, and sort of shape it after, you know, what's moving the needle in in spheres where people care about clothes. Um, you know, the, this, this, the, the, the breast print and the back print thing is like, you know, those are things that you can't get away from, but it's like what you do with those elements, um, or the type of imagery that you draw from is really important. And I think that, um, you know, we largely operate in the, 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 the metal and rock space and stuff like that. And a lot of merch ends up looking the same and I am into clothes and various goods and stuff like that. And I, I, would hope that I think I have an eye for stuff like that. And uh, I'm kind of turned off by a lot of modern stuff. And I get it. There are certain looks that are safe 
And maybe some acts are making the calculation that like fans of a particular style of genre aren't that concerned with how they look or clothes or branding or these things. So maybe we should play it safe and not do anything that's too out of the, the, the ordinary at the table. But I'm also of the, the mind that like you kind of need, especially if you're going to do like a life, a lifestyle piece or something that like is more so in line with how the band looks or the bandmates look like you need to, you kind of need to walk the talk. You kind of need to tailor that after that sort of personality and inject that into the pieces. So yeah, we're, we're starting dipped in tone by talking about merch, but uh, you know, merch is just, uh, is just a uh, gear cloth anyway, really at the end of the day. So it's, you know, but it may, it does speaking of, of gears, it makes the wheels turn uh, on the bus and other aspects of, of the show. So um yeah no Rhett did share that with me when we were at the buckhead last and we were we were also just there i should hit you up that's crazy um but we we were just there for like the second to last show of this tour and uh you know what's wild actually is the the house put up a signed poster from us from the night that i saw you there Rhett, and it's the only piece of band memorabilia in the whole building and it was in the merch area in the lobby and the house asked us to pose with it with some staff members and take a picture they really enjoyed having us there the last time and like it wasn't even our tour. So it was really strange. I'm like, we're direct support. And like the house is commemorating this, like this, like intervals, like shrine plaque thing that we all signed kind of crazy. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like I I love hanging out at merch. I love, I love designing things. And that's where my brain is now. We have a whole new album coming and stuff. We'll, we'll talk about all that stuff, but yeah, uh, as an independent artist, I think it's something that you got to like get your arms around, you know? Like how crucial do you think that is for, for artists? Cause I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that, are are in small bands um who are haven't like gone uh or even thought about maybe having merch how like how how early do you think a band should kind of commit to finding that sort of framework that they want their their merch to look like um in, in their own band's journey do you think that's something you gotta to hit like you know really early on especially if you're if you're doing any sort of touring even if it's just like weekend warrior stuff you know that's a funny thing because um i kind of see it in the same way that like someone make the argument that like you know you shouldn't have a manager until you hit critical mass you shouldn't have these things until like you need it and you're exceeding these things um you know i i think it's i think it's pretty obvious that like for any group that's going to play a show or whatever like you want to have something at a table somewhere at your first gig you don't want to just be the band on the stage and then exist nowhere in the venue i think there's something about like always punching above your weight, always seeming a little bigger than you actually are always like, that's really important. I think, um, in this world, cause you're, you're selling a, you're selling a fantasy, you know? So, um, I think it's crucial right away. I mean, I don't think like having a full tilt, like massive spread and over investing, uh, you know, before you even know what kind of numbers that you do, um, would be prudent. Um, maybe it's even a good idea to just have some some choice designs a limited amount maybe two three and do one of these teespring things or something that produces on demand and get a little bit of data get a little bit of analytics and see do people actually care about this stuff now the problem with that is the quality might not be the best when it arrives in the hands of the of the customer which is you know but you know what are you gonna ask for in the early days right so maybe you just test it out where you provide that website with a really nice you know, design, you know, 
I think the best thing to do is if you're going to go that route, maybe you make sure that like they provide you back with a mock of like how it's going to look on the garment. Nothing like paying for a wonderful design and then they like print it tiny in the uh, here or like it's wrong or something. So at least check that much and then like leave it up and see what happens. And, and if there's a business case there and maybe the music's moving the needle and you're starting to get to a place where like, yeah, we should have a few items in stock, then take it from there, strike up a little bit of a relationship with a merch uh, distro type thing and see, see what you can do or produce it locally and just drive the post office nuts. We used to do that. I mean, we didn't have merch distro until we literally hit critical mass. My parents were no longer comfortable with the hundreds of t-shirts and other wares that we were uh, flogging from their house. So, (laughs) you know, well, I think it's important to talk about because we do have a lot of like working musicians and young bands and people that listen to the show. Yeah. And the more I've gotten to hang out with you and see and seeing intervals live, I have a ton of respect for how much thought and effort you put into, you know, obviously music, the music is the most important part, but you seem to put as much effort and energy into all the other things that go into the music, like the merch, like the touring setup, like book, like, so where does that come from? Did you start with that from the jump with intervals or did you kind of figure that out over time? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I was independent for as long as, well, I mean, actually, let me take a step back. Independent in the sense of no management relationship. Intervals has never signed a recording contract. There's never been a label in the picture at all. There's definitely things that we've looked at at a certain time frame. I'm, I think, beyond considering that option. I don't think it would be necessarily in the interest of a contemporary label to try to get involved now with the size of the catalog and what I I think we can command. So that's not what I mean by independent, but from um, an operational standpoint or an organizational logistical standpoint, um, I think we did our first show 2011, 2010, something like that. And I didn't develop a management relationship for Oh, four years, um, three years, something like that. Um, I was sort of like operating from this place of we were getting opportunities early on and I had enough uh, peers that were already touring and doing things, mostly signed bands. And there was this like really strong notion early on, like do as much as you can by yourself. Do it till do it till the, the brakes fall off. You know, like you have to take it to its to to your wits end and then it makes sense to start outsourcing those things um so i was resistant for 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 quite some time and and when you do that you do learn uh trial by fire um how to interface with the local promoter how to negotiate things how to um sort of puff your chest up and say you know i'm not taking no for an answer you know and then be told well the answer is no, sonny boy. So like you have to like, you know, you kind of have to get there a little bit and and learn, you know, what's in your best interest to push on when you come across as maybe overstepping that boundary sometimes. And you got to just do that and learn. Um, uh, we 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 did get to a, a place where um, I, I would say fairly early on, three, three to four years of, of any act to be then in the hands of management. Um it's a pretty decent tra- trajectory, but a, a lot of uh, the the early uh, stuff that I cut my teeth on was r- really me, me just having to uh, finesse relationships that I had made in my old local bands and stuff like, oh, we want to do a show in Quebec. Like my old local band played a show in Montreal one time, like maybe I can make a phone call and see if somebody cares enough to book us in Quebec. And then it's like, oh, 
that's a thing. Okay. Well, you know, let's negotiate an offer. Well, it's like, guess what guys, we're getting 150 bucks to drive all the way to Quebec and we're going to do, and it's like, but that was exciting back then, you know? So you do have to kind of do that. And then you realize like, you know, it's such a nightmare logistically to run a rock band or a punk band or a, a metal band, especially now with the produ- production that we drag, drag along um, just to take a slight tangent. Like we had a, um, a different guitar tech work for us on this previous tour. We just got off and Ben plays guitar um, as, outside of being a, a fantastic tech, but Ben also plays guitar for a, a, a very sizable DJ named Kazo. And like, I've seen videos of him playing it. Like he's the only guitar player on stage. They're playing at like ultra Miami for like 20,000 people. And we're talking about the logistics of these things. And it's like, these guys just fly in. The decks are already at the production, like at the stage, these guys fly in with the laptop and maybe the backup redundancy is just another MacBook. And then it's like, you know, maybe some musicians meet up on the ground. Maybe you fly one or two individuals in the amount that they're able to hold back and, and retain as part of like, you know, like the guarantee really does feel like the guarantee when you don't have to spend it on eight other dudes and the wagon and the startup cost for the merch and all the other like liability factors, that miscellaneous category in the, in the spreadsheet on the budget is a, is a wild card. That thing can, I think can be as low as a zero and as high as money that you don't have. So it's, it's very interesting um, to like weigh that against like, oh, maybe we are nuts for the thing that we do, like pulling nine guys around in a bus with a full trailer full of stuff, rental lighting equipment and all of my own equipment that I've sunk all this money to that's literally just rattling around in a cocktail shaker on the freeway every single night. It's actually insane <laughs> when you think about it, you know, so I don't know. I, I don't know how I really got there. I think in, the, in, in my mind, I'm thinking about like you know, what it takes to, to do all this stuff. You basically have to be a crazy person to say like in your early twenties, you're just going to stare this thing down and say, no, like no matter what I'm, I'm giving all of the rest of my youth to this thing where we're just going to like fold ourselves into a vehicle and keep, keep trying to see if anyone cares. And I'll, I'll say at the 12 or 13 year mark, like it's been good the whole time, but it's like we intervals hit this thing in the last few years where I'm like, oh, I think it's starting to happen. It's like, but that's crazy. It took a while to like, and we did a bunch of amazing stuff before that too. Um, but it's, it's very, it's a very interesting thing to sort of like sign yourself up for. I'm, I don't know. It's kind of crazy when you say it out loud. I'm like, am I nuts? <laughs> you know, probably. I think you have to be a little bit, you yeah. know. So, so speaking of the production and touring, take us through your, your guitar rig. What are you taking out and how are, how are you balancing this? Because obviously you think about all of this stuff, not just being on stage and playing every night, but like how, what is it going to cost to like, how big of a trailer do we need? What kind of insurance do we need to carry all these other things? Does that influence the rig that you take out? And uh, if so, what do you, what do you bring in? Yeah. So we've played around. Um, I think there are certain things that create like built in limitation. Um, one of them being probably since about 2016 intervals as, as the baseline for us has been operating out of a bandwagon, uh, which is if, if, if listeners aren't familiar, it's you, you'll see them outside shows. It looks like a, like a big black tour bus for all intents and purposes, but it's not the big, long, sleek thing like a Prevo. It's kind of that in between where it's uh, two rungs above a, 
uh, let me put it like this. It's three rungs above a passenger van. It's two above a Sprinter. It's one above an RV and it's one under a Prevo. So it's kind of like in that, what I would consider to be a moderate realm. Um, they're more expensive post pandemic than they were prior. Um, everything is, but, um, that's sort of where intervals caps out, uh, which means there are inherent limitations. Uh, there are two internal form factors for those things. You can either have eight bunks or nine bunks. Um, nine being you sacrifice one of the larger communal spaces. There's like a condo bunk that can get turned into three in the nine bunk configuration. The reason I'm talking about the internals is I'm talking about the amount of crew that you can actually carry. And that determines how many jobs there are. And based on how many jobs there are also determines what kind of production can fit inside that trailer because guys got to build it every day. Yeah, it's part, it's part of that thing where it's not just like it's not just Lego where like a guy in a laptop flies in and, and it's not that simple. So um, as far as the guitar rig itself is concerned, um, I have done the amp and pedal thing where there's glass on stage and a couple cabinets and a big pedal board. And, um, you know, while that was cool to scratch the itch for me it's not very practical for the crew that has to work with that especially considering i i had a rig built by by um mike at nice rack canada uh in 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 toronto who's a excellent he's an absolute ninja excellent rig builder but i think my build was like right before it was sort of like um the tiered and hinged rigs were sort of normalized. So there was like a, some excessive uh, footprint going on with this thing uh which made the case quite cumbersome um, amongst other things. And I wanted full, you know, I'm so used to, you know, whatever insert modeler, the ability to use automated MIDI and all of these different scenes where one scene change and multiple, you know, states of these different blocks and all these different things, bypass states, you know, settings all change in lockstep. Um, I, I was like, if I'm going to do a real rig, I need that. So obviously there's switchers and, and these things exist. The gig rig exists. Mine was built around an RJM mastermind. Um, the MIDI side of things was, was there as well with the junction box contained MIDI. Um, so I was automating from the laptop effectively analog scene changes through that thing. So all of the states on the Strymon pedals would change uh, presets, you know, various things would go on in terms of what overdrives are on and off and stuff. And I got pretty close. The only thing that I couldn't really get, uh, happening at the time um, was I, I was using the uh, first version of the Empress Perry EQ. And um, I'll say this, that's a pretty expensive way just to do one lo-fi filter because the, <laughs> that, that thing's not digitally managed. There's no preset yeah. in that. So when I go like radio mode, which only happens for like split moments, I'm like, wow, that's an expensive sound um, just for like one tiny stylized moment. So um, now that there's all these, um, actually I just saw, I think GFI system just put out an EQ thing like the other day. That's like digitally managed preset type thing. There's a bunch of others. I know Walrus has one. So yeah, like there are certain ways to cut down um uh an even tight h90 would have saved a bunch of or h yeah the 90 is the double yeah one, the right? big one yeah yeah that would have saved a bunch of stuff and like there's totally way oh the the benson preamp mark ii you know that to me would have probably solved like a lot of the footprint was drives because i'm a i'm a drive head and i need those different colors so 127 in a box this big probably would have been pretty dope at the time so there's a lot of things that i didn't have uh, access to um anyway let me get out of the micro there the macro thing is 
glass is crazy to be touring with when the i feel every bang inside the bus i i could i just cringe at the thought of my gear in there and and yes our stuff is suspension mounted and everything is all like professionally built um still scares the absolute crap out of me i remember we had a junk bunk on the tour where i did the amp stuff and i i got to a point where amps were starting to live inside the i would tuck my amps in (laughs) i was tucking them in you know so like that is um that's spooky stuff so um, it's just easier to do the modeler thing. We're also t- really tapping into the full breadth of what's capable with those in the sense that the house is stereo for both guitars and cabs on stage are also stereo. So we can toggle between things that are perceived like dual mono, full stereo, all these things, but I've got enough CPU at my disposal to be able to do that. in not only the house, but also, um, on deck, um, this last tour that we just got off of, um, whenever we do support tours, we're always go along to get along. So we're always trying to do things that make the life of the band before us and the band after us as easy as possible. And this last tour was one where we, for the first time, sort of flirted with this idea of if we have to, do we go no cabs on stage to make life a little better for everybody? And our cab setup is pretty modest. We do a pair uh, each. So myself and Travis, we each get a pair of rev vertical 212s and we went with the vert 212 so that we could always even in the smaller spaces ensure that if this is the drum kit you get a pair of bass cabs a pair of me on the inside and a pair of travis on the outside and with them being vertical 212s and not 412s it's a little bit more manageable uh v30s in the bottom cream backs in the top real balanced blend uh to be able to just cover a lot of uh, ground on on stage um but even so on this on this run with test rack there was a few nights where it's like it'd be better for everybody if we just didn't have our cabs better for us that change over too so we we we've now dubbed the term and i hope that this is now carried forward uh uh, in perpetuity on dipped in tone we now call going with no cabs we call it going boneless so (laughs) so a a boneless setup is no cabs i like that yeah i like that yeah, so boneless. And 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 that works fine too, but the bare minimum is the ability to have a MIDI switched rig with the full range, full palette available to effectively accurately recreate the moments of the record whether it's lo-fi filtering, whether it's really stylized and particular stuff. I'm doing some freaky stuff now with with patches to recreate like studio trickery. Maybe we can talk a bit about that. It's kind of interesting, but yeah, as long as I have that available and we're doing it with the bass too um then yeah we in venues where there's like an adequate front fill and we've you know we do travel of course with alan and heath d live and our own front of house engineer who knows us very well chase has been with us since 2016 we do have the advantage to pull up and basically make anything work so yeah and what what modeler are you guys using neural um we so we did right after the pandemic brought out the qcs and you know the thing is is they're probably the easiest to get sounds that work like core sounds like really really well very quickly i do love the user friendly nature of like a lot of stuff has definitely been concealed under the hood with the way they do their modeling uh given the fact that if you compare a real world version of that amplifier to the to the native one that's in the qc um the knob count is quite low um not a bad thing because I think that the, for some type of players, like it matters more to get going quickly. Um, we did return to old faithful only in the sense that I had to do some pretty compromising stuff with routing and things just to 
get us back to like sort of what we're used to um, as far as being able to run the cabs on stage in stereo and the house in stereo there, there was at the time I haven't re-explored it since perhaps there's a way to do it now, but um, the, the unanimous consensus from crew and I take that input more, I take that, you know, pretty much as, as gospel. In fact, these are the guys that have to build and set everything up all the time. Um, their, their vote was to return to old faithful. It'd been working for a decade for us. And, um, you know, I, I know it better than anything. So yes. Uh, so it's been the fractal and then the cabs are run with, um, Seymour Duncan power stage 700. Same ones have been in the rig since probably about 2016 ish, which is, very impressive. Not a lot of gear holds on that long these days, especially when it gets rattled as hard as it does in the trailer. So those things are built like tanks. They've got some smaller format ones. Now they have a hundred watt stereo two channel thing that rocks. I just love those. They're really simple and they're loud as hell. And yeah, we do the rev cads and uh, everything else is um, Sennheiser stuff to get the ears and the guitars all talking wirelessly and um, some radial switching going on for some clever MIDI automated wireless changes. So as the guitar tech is handing us um, guitars on stage, MIDI is automated to a pair of JX44s that actually defeat the old wireless pack and engage the new one. So that way the guy, you will have a clean handoff. Yeah. Jesus cool. Christ, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's so funny. Like I, I, very different. I really appreciate it because I've seen intervals live and you put on such a great show. And for, for those of you listening who might not be familiar with what these guys do, you should absolutely go listen and, and check it out and watch some videos because I just really appreciate how you're taking this super modern sort of maximalist approach to sort of kind of be able to do whatever you want sonically on stage and you do like you you in the course of a song you're you're going through a, several different completely different sounds in the the course of a beat yeah and you know with the, that's definitely not the type of player that i am or zach <laughs> is you know like i'm i'm old school put a tweet amp on stage and hit it with a fuzz but i i appreciate a few things about this one that you are actually using the most modern technology as it was intended to its maximum potential, right? All of these tools were created for players like you and for bands like Intervals. But we have one thing in common, which is the cabs on stage. I, I fully believe, like even in the modeling world and, and Axe FX, Quad Cortex, whatever, as a guitar player playing a live set, you kind of need to have, and I understand, you know, when you're in an opening position, direct support, like you need, uh, we've been in that position so many times, a quick changeover and, and not being a nuisance to the headliner and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But whenever possible running cabs on stage, because it does you, even in a modern rig like yours, you need that interaction between the guitar, the pickups and the speakers moving air on stage. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Like what, it, was there some experimentation that happened where you went without cabs and then decided to go back? Or have you always just been pro cabs on stage? We've always done the cabs. It always seemed obvious to me. Um, you know, you go watch a modern band live a lot of the time. And if you're, you know, if you're lucky enough to maybe be, or maybe unlucky enough to be friends with some of these individuals, you might catch a couple songs side stage and nobody loves the side stage vibe when it's just cymbals and snare drum, you know? <laughs> and like, that doesn't matter because the, the paying patrons are in the house. That's different. Um, but there's something to be said for what's happening, the activity that's happening on that stage. Now, some guys would argue, 
no, that's the clean stage the engineer is looking for because there's the ability to separate certain things. Like even that alone gives more control for what you can do to separate some of the stuff coming from drums into the vocal mic, these types of things. But check it out. We don't do vocals. So Chase can just take my talkback mic down for the audience and then what's happening? Well, everything is larger than life in the PA because we don't even have to prioritize the space where a vocalist would live. Every instrument gets to be as full fat as possible. It's really important. Um, at the same time, we operate at a, a level where uh, we can literally go from the biggest and best show we've ever played in a club to the next night being in a dive bar again. So it's very possible. Things are starting to smooth out now. That's maybe a few years ago. That was more the case, but there are definitely highs and lows and um, you can get into a mid tier venue where you're like, Oh yeah, maybe, maybe going boneless isn't so bad tonight. And then you lean into the front fills and go, Oh no, the first six rows of people are going to have a bad time. Let's get, let's get the bones out. So uh, the, the thing with the cabs that I've noticed, uh, this tour, like I said, is the first time where we ever very boldly uh, decided, let's let's go further in, in being team players and let's just see what happens with no cabs. And um, we had really pleasant results. In fact, um, the only thing that changes selfishly is that feeling on stage. However, I'm sealed out like minus 20, minus 25 in the years, I have completely sealed molded in-ears. Um, now, the advantage is that when you use the the predictable, consistent modeling rig, gain structure and the the overall image that I, you know, the mix that I exist within on a nightly basis on stage is super consistent. In fact, um, between all tours this year, so we did, we were one of three with After the Burial and Spirit Box. And then we did, we were direct support to Tesseract on all tours this year. My in-ear mix was built by Chase at the pre-production rehearsal space. And I made two adjustments in about 60 shows on the iPad to my ears. So every day I walk on stage, as long as the pack is set to whatever we've decided after gain structure in pre-production. So typically it's about dead noon on the pack, somewhere between five and six. As long as I live there, the only thing that might happen is the room might change so much that I walk out and maybe I notch myself up or I notch myself down. Um, on the nights where we have no cabs, sometimes I feel like I might want a little more of myself, but I am always way more inclined to almost play with me non-existent. I would rather be buried in the mix than to have too much of myself. Mm. So I'm pretty go along to get along. I also came from years of wearing like the Vader drummer style earplugs and then dialing in a wedge to be this like strange uh, sort of thing where monitor guys would walk by and be like, that's your mix. That's what you want. And, and the whole thing is I've calculated a mix that sounds like tolerable enough when I'm on top of, on top of it. And the way I want it when I'm as far away as that thing is possible. And that's the way I existed before we ever did monitoring uh, in your monitoring. And it's one of the best investments that we ever made. So with the cabs thing, it's yes, there's a three dimensional thing that sort of happens in the ears. But the funny thing is, is we used to use room um, pencils on the audience. And I would bring a little of that in because I was worried that I I can't hear the dude, you know, two rows back talking shit or whatever. Like, so we used to do that stuff. Um, but then on nights where the swing in the room, like when the, when the sponges come in and then the whole vibe in the room changes, that's a very affectionate way to refer to a human being. <laughs> yeah, your fans, the sponges come in. <laughs> um, 
yeah, uh, I meant that in the most loving way and most from, endearing from way a sonic perspective. <laughs> from a yeah, sonic yeah. perspective, strictly speaking, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did, I mean, I could say meat sponges. That's that's the full. <laughs> that that is the full colloquial uh, road dog term. But yeah, no. So when um, when that happens and the swing kind of you know changes the way the guitar feels in the ears, sometimes um, the the room mics would end up actually setting me up for a for a loss not a win and mm. um, you can get some tubby low mid stuff you need some phasey things so we canned room mics a long time ago um so the three-dimensional quality that i'm speaking about really is just almost this ambient feeling of it being outside and near me it's not even so much about how it feels here and if i'm getting any additional here it's just my it's just my uh the 58 on on yeah. the talkback thing that's actually getting a little bit of it and i don't really love that either because i've got this beautiful stereo image in the house and i get this mono thing that's just like right here so <laughs> that's not fun but yeah i don't know like i think for the audience and that's where i think about it the most is like i want everybody at in all places to get the best show possible and the 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 pairs of stereo cabinets thing came from this. It was actually a recommendation from a touring media person that we had. And Mike would be running around in the photo pit. And uh, this is back in 2019 before we did stereo cabs. And he'd be like, man, you guys were amazing tonight. But I was getting so much Travis and not enough of you and vice versa when I was switching sides. And he's like, wouldn't it be great if you guys could just have pairs of cabinets on stage so you're everywhere at all times and like the light bulb went off in my head and i held on to that for like the majority of the pandemic we never got to implement it but i couldn't unhear that thought and when we came back for uh, touring at the end of um 2021 i was like i don't care what anyone has to say we're doing pairs of cabinets let's just shrink the footprint down but let's try to be everywhere at all times the fans paid to see a guitar show. Let's not leave them in the dark or have them wondering what one guy was doing or the other. Like, let's make sure you can't escape us. And we're doing doing the same thing with bass as well. And now we have a mix that I I truly believe no matter where you are in the house, you're going to get the full breadth of the show. Mm. That's, That's awesome, awesome, man. That's super cool. And and yeah, I mean, having seen it, that that was my. I was standing like way off to the side, kind of in the back of the room, and I, it was a really balanced, easy to hear mix. Nice. That's rad, Thank you, man. Thank you. Well, that's Chase. I got to give what we're doing on stage is, 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 is very independent of what the boy is doing out at the front of house. And that guy is, um, he's the glue that holds us together on tour. He's also my tour manager. Um, Chase is exceptionally talented. He's one of those guys that just like audio is just this thing that it's like a, just, yeah, it's like a, um it's like his lexicon you know it's his language and it's just we there sometimes i'll catch him like covered in cables and run around doing all this stuff and we call him the audio monster you know because like i just i truly feel like he is like wired up with like patch cables on the inside you know this guy really knows this stuff so that makes me comfortable because uh that's not always the case i can come as prepared as as i want but uh front of house is you know that matters so Rhett mentioned something that you know we, we both Rhett and I don't really play guitar in the same vein as you, but I am a huge fan uh, of intervals. I listen to you guys all the time and in that style of music. And for a guy who is kind of a self-proclaimed blues dad, um, what's a good way? I mean, I know you guys have tablature um, that, that you sell, which is awesome. Um, but what's a good way to like kind of get into that, that style of music from a playing perspective, if you've kind of only lived in, you know, the, the bluesy classic rock side of thing. Do you have any advice to, you know, guys who want to do that? Wow. Um, 
first of all, thank you. Really appreciate that. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, all I can do is draw parallels between my own um, experience and, and that's an interesting thing to sort of follow that up with because it's like, well, no, I'm trying to do the thing you're doing. Don't tell me about how you're doing it. But I do want to say that the like progressive nature of the thing or, or perhaps like some of the, I don't know, the genre labels or the handles that are sort of like ascribed to the sound um, those are actually the things that are the least obvious to me personally. And I think the difference with intervals and perhaps some of my contemporaries is that I'm coming from a place of trying to pull a small percentage of that thing, that like modern guitar thing in against the backdrop of all of my own influences. So I grew up going to the warp tour and listening to a bunch of pop punk stuff. And I would still be like very happy to just go see like newfound glory and be like, hell yeah, that's a rock show. You know, like I'm <laughs> yeah. down, like that's cool to me. And I still revisit all that music and it still um, moves the needle with me in a big way. But I sort of transitioned from like, you know, I got a guitar. I'm trying to figure out what's cool. I only had like a couple friends that even cared about stuff like that. So when you don't really have that influence, like guitar world is definitely telling you like what is, to put your hands around because like you get the tabs in the back or you, you know, um, you know, that, that was the the stuff, especially because the internet wasn't very prominent. Um, I kind of started with things that are, you know, smells like team spirit and, and you know, what's my age again and all that stuff. Right. You know, like right. it's funny actually that I would just go Nirvana Blink-182, but that is what was like in the back of guitar world at the time for me. Sure. You know, I'm born in 89. I started playing guitar, like coming out of like fifth grade. So, you know, my mid teens ish. And yeah. Um, I think for me, it's always just been about like, still leaning back on the stuff that I really like about, you know, um, guitar centric music, not the virtuoso stuff or the modern stuff, but like guitar based music, like punk rock and, and, and pop punk and, and metal and stuff. And, 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 and then once, once I sort of like, you know, wanted more or was hungry for more or whatever, the next things that I found were probably more in the metal world. So like it was like the first Avenged Sevenfold and Atreyu stuff. And I remember when they were like tiny little write-ups in guitar world, they weren't even getting like half a page feature. It was just like a small mention. Um, and then I was like, Oh wow. Okay. This is different. And then a lot of the like, you know, contemporary or modern metal bands um, at the time, um, you know, mid two thousands ish and stuff were like, this really balanced blend of like, you know, punk stuff with like, you know, metalcore riffs or whatever and some guitar solos and everything. So in my mind, I'm trying to work out like who I am as a guitar player, but I'm like, I think it all just goes. I think you can just kind of do it all, you know? Mm. And then my old, my previous local bands and stuff were shades of this. My The one that I was doing right up until the time that I started Intervals was in the small amount of accolades that we received or the little bit of stuff that we were able to, a little bit of attention we were able to command, we always got like a, these guys are like a, 
like a baby protest the hero meets between the buried and me sort of kind of thing and that makes sense because protest the hero are like hometown heroes for us they were actually the gateway to a lot of the stuff that really got me into stuff so i know the question wasn't so much about my influences but i want to try to tie this into your question which is your influences and your backdrop which is more rock centric and more blue centric i think that that vernacular also totally carries over into the modern um guitar type stuff and in fact you probably have a healthier foundation to get your hands around a lot of the stuff that guys are playing more so maybe than um i mean geez i couldn't even imagine being a young kid right now getting my first guitar and you look on youtube and it's like the option paralysis would kill me. Yeah. Like, yeah. And the sure. level of execution now, there's no frame of reference for a young player. I always find it fascinating. Like, I just got my first guitar two years ago, and, you know, I got a modeler. I've never played through an amp. I got a modeler, and I'm playing, like, I'm doing Playing God by Polyphia. And I'm just like, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, dude. Or, like, or I got, you know, my first guitar was an eight string. And I'm playing KFO or like Wave of Babies or like, you know, this like crazy animals material and stuff. Like to me, there's no frame of reference. It's absolutely terrifying that you can get there without understanding the pedigree, like understanding like where that music came from. So in your sense that I believe, you know, uh, playing the blues and learning how to play rock is like is like eating broccoli at every meal. It's like it is like some of the healthiest stuff you could do as a guitar player. I truly believe that, um, which means that if you were to crack into some of my stuff or if I was to point to particular things where I'm like, yo, this is a good place to start. This is what I was thinking about or the type of approach I'm taking when I wrote this. Like, think about it like this when you lift it. You might be like, oh. I get it. It's this stuff or it's like he's coming from this place or whatever. Now, again, my influences are a little bit different, slightly more contemporary, I suppose. But I can always draw clear syntax back to like where I learned the foundation for a given thing. And now I'm just in a place where like I'm very um, I feel like uh, like 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 there's less limitation because I've I've proven to myself over the course of a couple releases now that like the things that like get me excited are the things that are always the best received by the audience. And they're always the things that seem to just be the standouts when anyone reviews a record or people come up and say like, Oh, I love this moment in this song. I'm like, cool. Because that was me feeling like, Oh man, I'm really just doing me here. Like this is, I don't know if people really care about this. Like this is me just really leaning into the thing that I think I love. And often that's rewarded. So if it means taking a modern you know, blues or rock approach, and then also bringing in five to ten percent of some of that that more hyper modern flavor against it. Then that's the unique amalgamation of the thing that makes your sound. Um, there's a few players that are doing this actually. Um, there's a kid named Maury Mor- Pringle from the UK yep. who has this thing where I'm like, oh, you listen to a ton of Van Halen and like Led Zeppelin and stuff, but like you're presenting in a way that hits hard and it's modern. Like that's cool. You know, there are guys that tow that line. There's a, a dope band from Long Island called Moontooth who are like uh, what I would consider to be like shades of post hardcore with punk rock and a heavy heavy emphasis on this like late 80s rock thing that's going on you know big jcm 800 tones the way nick is playing is like oh wow this is like it's like van halen on steroids or it's like some some stuff like that and i look at that and i go cool yes no like rock does dovetail i mean what is instrumental guitar based stuff anyway if you look at all the shrapnel guys from the 80s they were coming from the glam rock stuff 
So there is crossover there. Now the backing music might not have been as interesting. I think the difference now with the new school is that we tend to function more like the maestro of a composition and there's all this stuff like, you know, the synths are starting to take over in the studio now. You know, there's stuff that's happening that's definitely different, but the guitar is still absolutely at the heart of the thing, you know? I just try to build an inclusive composition around that. Yeah, so I like what you said there about how you draw influence from all these other things because so Adam Levy gave me this book uh, called Steal Like an Artist that I've been I've been reading. That's amazing. And one of the things that this book talks about is the idea of having good taste, meaning like, you know, your ideas come from what you listen to in our case, you know, or yes. what art you consume. And so like, yeah, you've you've kind of grown up listening to all of these different foundational acts and starting with Nirvana and, and Blink and all these other bands, whether or not you sound like Kurt Cobain doesn't really matter because that's where you started and it does influence where you're at now. And it is crazy seeing how young people are learning the instrument today because of YouTube, because of all of us here, like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, where you can literally jump on and it's like drinking from a fire hose. And in, in some ways, I'm so grateful that I didn't learn that way. Same. You know, I, I we all learned kind of the same way, which is like friends lending us CDs or records or whatever, and like listening to stuff at home on the radio and looking up tabs in the back of Guitar Player Magazine or whatever it was. And like, mm -hmm. yep. You know, I've talked to the 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 CEO of the school that that I went to, um, Atlanta Institute of Music, where you know, which is also where Tosin went. So there's a big uh, draw now for a lot of progressive players going to AIM because of Tosin. And there's a scholarship he, in his name, I believe. Yeah, exactly. And so he, Knight was talking to me about this a few years ago. Where he's like, you know, a lot of these these kids coming in now are technically amazing players and they have this sort of like patchwork of knowledge mm -hmm. and theory and harmony, but they are missing a lot of the core stuff. Like they yes. might know your, your harmonic minor modes, but they don't know the major scale or the, the minor pentatonic scale or the blues, like, because, because of the internet, like because of everything now being so algorithmically based where it's like, Oh cool. You watch this intervals video. Well, here is animals as leaders thing. Here is whatever, where they're just kind of getting, whatever's happening now without necessarily going back and learning about where you guys got it from. It's kind of yep. crazy. It is absolutely insane to me. And it used to actually, I'll be candid and say that like when I started becoming sort of like acquainted with this thought, it was kind of bothering me in the sense that like, you know, intervals went through an interesting period where, uh, you know, I started, rolling music out in the form of these sort of seminal EPs that were instrumental, then there is a era of the band that we did ex experiment having a vocalist, um, which was relatively short lived as about a year in span. And um, then reverted back to, you know, um, what felt the most authentic, which was creating instrumental music. But I started taking a bit of a different spin with it and, from that time on started like there was already a bunch of work and an established uh, following, but starting to like rebuild and reshape things and explore along the way. And as a result, um, you get the comparisons, you get the, Oh, this sounds like this, or like you must be influenced by these people. And often um, you get a young person telling you, you must be influenced by insert other contemporary band. Right. And it might be a song that came out like two weeks ago or something like that. Yours just came out and they're like, Oh, you must be listening to these guys. The funny thing is, though, it's like behind the scenes, it's like, I know the people in that band and I know their influences. And if you ask them, 
where they got it from. You know, it's like they'll give you like four different things that they're slamming together because that's their canvas, their backdrop. That's where they come from. And to me, I can immediately see that because I understand like, oh, this move is this thing. Oh, this proclivity towards this like type of harmonic move or this technique or whatever. Like I can see like the hologram behind it. Like, oh, like this is the lineage. This is where it came from. But to these young players that you're describing, zero frame of reference. Everything is face value. This person I saw, this is the first person I saw play this thing. They invented music. So the, like the, you know, that, that, so it used to bug me not so much anymore. Of course, I think that now we're, we're well into settling into the sound and, and now veering off into our own direction as well, where I'd like to believe that even some of the early releases um, still had that, like you could, hear it and just recognize that it's us. Um, I think we're further down that, that path now. Um, and I've made some really deliberate decisions to do that. For example, the type of engineer that I work with, um, not having the same people, um, engineer and, uh, mix. Um, there's only a handful of names sort of in our kind of sort of microcosm of the, you know, modern rock and metal space. So actively choosing somebody else that can give a different sonic fingerprint to the thing is like one of those details. Also just like stopping caring what anybody has to think and just constantly leaning into the stuff that gets me excited. Whenever I do that, I'm rewarded for it. Right. So things like that. Well, before we wrap everything up, we got to dip this rig. We got to do it. We got The do audience it. has been calling for it. Okay, well, I, you know, hopefully this satisfies the listeners, by the way. I'm sure that was a relatively different discussion for a dipped in tone as far as like, you know, maybe the mechanics of some of the the music stuff. But hopefully that's intriguing. to, to uh, It is, man. It is really intriguing. And, and you know, we, this is why we have players of all stripes and backgrounds on this show is because, you know, if we just talked about the same stuff every episode, it would be incredibly boring. So, yeah, it was great. All right. Yeah. What do we uh, what do we have here, Zach? So this is from Elvin Monster. And they've only been playing. This is their first year of learning. So this what? is their, yeah. <laughs> Hold on a second. See, this is this is the st- shit I'm talking about. Now this this isn't a plug-in setup, so it kind of defies that logic. But if right. this is year one, what do you do for a living? Is yes. what I need to know. <laughs> Who are you? Because you got dates on this on the whiteboard. I know you were going to do a preamble, and I'm not going to cut you off, but. I have so many questions. Carry on. <laughs> so um, what we've got, we've got the Tone King Gremlin, which is, you know, great little boutique amp. You're a lawyer. Uh, you're a dentist. What do you do? <laughs> player, uh, player Plus Strat, a PRS SE Hollow Body 2, an Eastman T59. Not even that before. He's got the Eastman, bro. Yeah, the Eastman, man. And then we got a Polytune, the Morning Glory, a Carbon Copy, the Walrus Fathom, and then a Ditto. And, I, you know, th- he's a... Uh, he just plays at home. So I, does he look at the whiteboard? Well, I, that, I that's, that I, yeah, might be like, a work thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, this is, yeah, yeah. He's litigating in all these different yeah, uh, right. cities. This is where I got to go uh, win court cases in all of these different varying cities. Okay. I got it. All right. So let's start with the guitars. I mean, the first thing that's jumping out to me is the Eastman. Eastman is genuinely, I think they some, make some uh, unbelievably good electrics and what my favorite acoustic um one of my favorite acoustics that that i have is uh, is an eastman so that's like their 335 
clone, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know an Eastman from a hole in the wall other than like the times I've played a few in some shops that like the cool shops that have Eastman stuff. And there's like a few things in the catalog that have always intrigued me. This guitar here, not just the Eastman, but this like proverbial guitar right here is the furthest thing from anything I know or am familiar with. So <laughs> yeah, I it's got not- a headstock. It's oh no, I do headstocks, bro. Come on, no, don't do me dirty like that, dude. Yo, that's crazy. Wrong, wrong prog nerd, my guy. No, no, that's I've I've owned a few headless. I like them. It's fine. But no, but this thing's definitely missing wood in some funky spots, and it's way chubbier in the bottom end than anything that I that I know. But I like it, man. I, I just don't know how to speak to it other than like, hell yeah, brother. You know what I mean? Yeah, this setup is is kind of outside of your wheelhouse a little bit. I mean, maybe the the Strat is probably the Strat and the, the PRS are making yeah. sense. Although the PRS the PRS basically looked to its right and then looked to its left and then tried to be both at the right. same I think time. So. I think so, and that's my problem with it. Is it's kind <laughs> of like yeah. it's in this setup. I just think it's redundant. Like I think you've got uh, I think you've got. I'd swap the PRS. We'll, we'll get to that. So let's. Um, it's let's year on. one. We're exploring. We're we're yeah. We're, we're well. Learning. Yeah, we're exploring. It's year one, so we decided we need two hollow bodies. Yeah, we're exploring yeah. a lot of the same territory. We got is a the piezo, problem. though. You know, hey. uh, no, yeah. I'm I'm messing with it. I would be more inclined to hold on to that than the three thirty five looking thing. However, I am like really big on having a bunch of like variety in the rig. Like I was sitting in front of this, and there's like other stuff in here. There's more things. I'm I'm big on not eating the same meal with uh sorry I'm not I'm big on not eating meals with the same fork if you know what I'm saying so I do <laughs> Dude, like the I, idea you need to start writing the shit down Aaron like you've dropped Number some of these forks. things over the whole episode where it's like okay we gotta write not eat the four same meal damn <laughs> there's a t-shirt yeah. um <laughs> yeah I don't know I, I just I'm just channeling all of my dad's humor I suppose all right um, pedalboard pedalboard's pretty solid here I think we're off to a good start I'm trying yeah. to keep in mind you know year one I mean for year one this is you know light years ahead of where many people are oh um, yeah dude this is a great selection so first of all I know the tone king stuff I don't know this amp but the uh the imperial is is fantastic um i have played them in the real world i've also played the digital recreation both are excellent uh i don't know much about this but i do know that two knob or one knob amps are bold and usually rock real hard if that's like the kind of thing you're after oh, there's not a lot of gain staging happening on that pedal board but i bet low watt class i bet that thing cooks mm-hmm so I'm game for it. Definitely down. Also, Tone King just make fantastic products. So there's no way that thing sucks. Yeah. Um, good choice of tuner. Um, Solid tuner. I'd, I'd go with the smaller one personally. There's not a reason to have the full size one these mm, days, mm, in my mm, opinion. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Unless you, yeah. You know, it rocks when you step on it, but I guess you're not stepping yeah. on it that much. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's not much to say about about the tuner um i like this because if you were fuzzy guy you can defeat the buffer da 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 if you ever get into that territory so the polytune's a good one um, and it's got an extra power output on the top that is actually i take back what i said that is a pro of the larger one is you've got a nine volt outlet a little courtesy the, out yeah. yeah a little cur- yeah, courtesy outlet there i don't, I don't like those <laughs> well why is it no is it noisy or it, it sounds can be, all, yeah i mean ah. you're daisy chaining through so it's not i don't know uh I, th- th- I think i don't like them because people misuse them and you can like 
like, you know, and I get emails like, my fuzz sounds really bad. It sounds really fuzzy, like really oh. noisy. I'm like, well, how are you powering it? Oh, through are my you using the, Yeah, using the <laughs> courtesy oh, out on your polytune? I've got one of one spot with two daisy t- chain adapters powering 14 pedals. So why does yes. my fuzz oh. sound bad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I thought I was supposed to have the buffer on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. At the so end of my chain. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Only the three of us would waste that much time on a tuner. Um, <laughs> so I'm really liking what's coming next year because this is just, first of all, everything JHS. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Solid. I've never been, never been let down. I, I think, I think the man knows what he's doing when it comes to pedals. I don't own this, but every time I've ever played through a homies rig that has one, um, it's fantastic. It is also now in the fractal. It is lovely. lovely. Oh, the morning glory is in the fractal. Yep. Just Damn. Did it. They just did it. Oh. Yeah. That's yeah. killer. Yeah. I, I have a morning. The morning glory was one of my, like early on in my er- overdrive journey. I bought, it was like a version two or version three morning glory. I like 10 it. years ago. And, um, yeah, yeah, I stuck around forever until I got the light speed because they're it's somewhat redundant. And um, got it, yeah, got it. I, I love the Morning Glory carbon copy. You can't go wrong with the, the MXR carbon copy. That's no, a Hall of Fame pedal right there. Class. It's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, delay in front of the amp is spooky, but that's a me thing. That's not a him thing. That's a me thing. Um, you know, for certain you know, trend picky things or some really like if you need a chewy repeat that's getting all mashed up in the front, like cool not my thing carbon copy is a good one though for that because it's dark on the repeats so it gets down and out of the way although i do find the low end to still be a little tubby uh but it but if you're gonna do a delay like this this is the one i might reach for the deluxe version personally if you went for the smaller tuner you could have had the deluxe carbon See, copy now you're thinking. Uh, but there's a whole row up top that he isn't using so or, or a you know oracle maybe or the myth, <laughs> which which is sitting downstairs <laughs> By the way, I'm going to eat my words because it's downstairs in front of the ant. Yes. So, but uh, but that'd be a weird one to run in the in, in the, the loop. loop. Yeah, that, that that's yeah, yeah, that's not a loop delay. That pedal um, would 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 look around and say, "Where am I right now?" Yeah. Um, hello. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I um yeah I'm liking that carbon copy's no brainer. I love MXR stuff. I like yeah. all that stuff. All the George Trip stuff. All the like uh, the way huge MXR. All that. I love it. So. To me, the most important pedal on this board, as someone who's been playing for a year, is the Ditto. Yeah. Because oh, you're just going to jump right over the Walrus. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yes. Let's talk about the Walrus. I'm actually not too familiar with that pedal. Which someone... one is that? It's a reverb. Okay. Oh, it's the, is it a quirky verb or is it a flexible uh, verb? I think it gets quirky. Okay. Gets like quirky. Yeah. I'll, ta- I'll, take, two, I'll hey, take, yeah. It's got two foot switches. So my guess is it's a, uh, it's a not not normal it's a multi, it doesn't just do spring a, but as long as it, reverb. as long yeah. as it gets quirky yeah get gets is the operative word here because if uh, you're only going to have one reverb on the board you need to co- be able to like toggle between the normal thing and then the wacky thing i think it's got hall plate lo-fi and then a sonar which has uh reverb fed with both high and low octave and you can blend the octaves with the, oh i'm, with I'm here for this thing which one is that fathom the fathom nice. oh, the fathom yeah yeah so you can do your favorite hunt for red October sounds. Oh, okay, man. so the the ditto is I think the most important pedal on this board because as a beginner, okay. you want to be able to loop stuff and a great way to practice that's fun is like play a progression or play a vamp and just sit and and shed on top of it whether it's blues licks or or whatever. I think that's really cool. You've got the top yeah. row, but here's the thing. I think uh 
I think for playing for a year, we've spent a lot of time looking at gear online. That's that's what I'm seeing with this rig here. Hopefully, we've spent Ooh. as much time playing as we have on YouTube and the gear page. Damn. Um, but I would I would suggest maybe we leave that top row open for the next year. And not not in, in terms of like practicing more, just to say like, hey, let's let's figure, you know, take what you've got, really learn how to out. use it. Yeah, let's max this out and then take the next step from there. I have a question about the looper. Why is it not the first thing after the tuner? Well, because then you, then the you could. Yeah, you can you can loop the effects and then and turn them on and off. OK, interesting. Yeah, I don't <laughs> use loopers enough. The funny thing, you want to know like how I use it. a looper? <laughs> I oh. use a looper like this. I put it in the beginning of the chain on like if I'm preset building and then I loop a phrase or a riff oh. and then I put the guitar down and then I dial the rest of the chain. And that's why I'm thinking, why is it not first? But, yeah, time, but, you, but you're not sure. going to tweak like that on this rig. Yeah, the last time I used a looper was to break in a speaker. So I'm not really a, a looper user either. But the reason That's, you have it back here is like you can get a really cool ambient sort of bed thing going on and just loop that and then turn all the effects off and play dry on top of it. Mm -hmm. That sounds to me like I would rather eat glass than play dry <laughs> over the big wet thing and then just play dry on top. Oh, you don't That's... have to. I mean, just have a different sound. You don't have to play completely dry on top of it. That know? hurt my soul just now. Um, <laughs> but no, I for sure. That was a little extreme, to be honest. Um, but yeah, okay. Now, see, I got an education on where the ditto goes. So, I yeah, yeah man. Okay, so. Looking at this rig holistically, I like the amp. I think it's the right size for like a cool home tube driven vibey thing. I, I think it makes sense. Yeah, it made sense in this the context of this rig, I think. I'd probably do away with the PR. Here's what I would do. All right. Oh, I would sell the PRS and I'd buy an acoustic because you're learning. You're trying to learn songs. With the Strat and the 335 copy, you can cover all your, your you know basic food groups there. I would get a really cool acoustic, maybe an Eastman acoustic. I don't know. Um, and be able to play some, some acoustic stuff, some finger style stuff, you know, whatever you're into. Um, but what if he's a huge Incubus fan and, or he's, or what if he's acoustics. just, but he also plays the PRS hollow body. Does he not? Yep. yep. I, I, I guess. I don't know. I you just, know, I, what like if that? you're like, what if you're like uh, trying to be Al Demiola, you know, what if, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm trying to really justify the PRS. Um, you're probably right in terms of uh, the variety. It is kind of towing the line, like right in between the two of them. If we drew a Venn diagram, I mean, this is the Venn diagram of of guitar, except kind of interesting. The two of them are hollow bodies. That is kind of tweaking me out now that I think about it. Um, maybe you're right, and the, you ditch the the PRS. You do the strap for sure because you gotta. Mm-hmm. I just think like, where's the Paul? Right. Well, you can you can get Lester sounds out of that that three thirty five. Like it it'll you know fat Lester. Yeah, yeah. fat Lester, as it's been called. Uh, yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, dude. Here's the here's the funny thing. I'm really excited to talk about like more traditional gear stuff because I I te I tend to not go super super modern, but I don't live in this world. Yeah, at all. So like, I like it. The strat is the only thing that's making sense to me here, to be honest. Um, although I do love, I do actually love a good PRS, and I've had a few in my day. I know how Rep feels about the the, uh, the PRSs, but oh god, how much um, time do we have? 
That's no, no, no. We don't. We don't have to relitigate that. That's fine. He's gonna. He's going to court in New York City, Chicago, yeah. New Orleans rally. Anyway, he's he's doing the. He's doing it for you. Um, which yeah, so very interesting. Now I agree with this notion of leaving the top row for a little while. But what's spooky to me here? Uh, what watt class is this amplifier? It's five watts and it has an attenuator, so you can okay. Damn. It. Okay, because I was gonna say I'm a little freaked out by even five watts in this tiny room this mm-hmm. tiny carpeted what could be an apartment um so i wasn't thinking attenuator but i'm thinking i don't know is is is, is it taboo to say there maybe could be a compressor before that morning glory no not taboo but i just i feel like the way this amp is run you're getting enough compression from the amp itself five watts attenuated yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're attenuating that down to you know bedroom levels and you're hitting the front end of that amp with the morning glory i feel like that's the compression unless you want to do like a real squashed funky thing you know maybe maybe you're right maybe there's a compressor but the thing is compressors are not super beginner friendly because the the concept of compression i think takes a long time to wrap your head around sure and but man this guy's an anomaly he's in year one and he's out here with the boutique rig. Like, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty out there for year so one. I'm a little, little you curious. Know, I think load it up with pedals, get rid of the strat, and then get a solid body double humbucker guitar. Oh, he said, get rid of this. he said get rid of the strat, bro. <laughs> what? Why? What's your logic, Zach? <laughs> no, with- I don't. I mean, obviously, like humbuckers. I mean, come on, look. Yeah, he's got, uh, he's, no, I'm, he's I'm got just it. kidding. He's got that bass cover. I, come on. I'm not totally a like. I'm I. I agree. It's a bit redundant with the the hollow, semi hollow, whatever. Um, I guess the the PRS is full hollow and the the Eastman is semi hollow. Um, but that's like mm. I don't know, splitting hairs. But um, oh, so he might be doing jazz box vibes with the PRS. Maybe you know. Uh, but I, I think I don't think there's anything wrong with maybe adding a few more pedals on here. I think you know, experimenting with fuzz or a wah. I don't know. I'm cool with I, it. I'm definitely yeah. So. I like the maybe we split the difference and we say this is your rig for six months, mm-hmm. and then I would go personally. I but that's just, again I'm sort of asserting my own preference on this rig. It's not, but for that's me. the point it's for here. Some, oh, it is yeah, it? Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Then I'm definitely going compressor. Okay. And then I'm going with something that has a bit of a mid hump to okay. it as well. That is because yes. the morning glory is quite flat. I swear to God, if you say tube screamer, Aaron. It was, no, it's not the first. Oh, oh, really? Okay, so there's there's something going on here that I'm sensing and I don't fully understand, but um, you guys can sort that out at a later date. Um, I would go with hilariously. I'm looking for something that is like, but this, again, it's just me. So I want something flexible on here that gives me lots of drive. <laughs> Putting the Mark II would be hilarious on that board, so that's not a thing. Um, but. Um, there are things that can get you a couple places. Maybe it's as simple as a double-sided type, one of these contemporary double-sided mm-hmm. kind of things. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do the cornerstone thing, uh, right. or maybe you do the protein because you can get bluesbreaker vibe with the oh, he loves a mid-hump. Okay, very interesting. Um, Zach's all about some mid-range. So the tube screamer isn't the one that my brain goes to, but it's definitely like I would go. Actually, let me say this. I have a feeling this amplifier is on the on the chewier, darker side, potentially. I know there's a tone control, but at five watts attenuated, 
I want uppercut. So I'm mm. thinking Clon family. Mm-hmm. Probably my Ryra. Probably my Rocket mm-hmm. Repair Dam's Clon clone mm-hmm. would be absolutely phenomenal. Or Molnir, yeah, hundred percent, which I have downstairs and I love. You, I love that this turned into a Mythos commercial. That's I mean, incredible. hey, you know. I got to take advantage. We got no, we got for sure. subscribers. Got bills to pay, bro. Come on. <laughs> for sure. You might throw an Argonaut in there, maybe a mini one. because Ooh, now, that's actually, now that's actually, I can get behind idea. that. I can actually get behind that because that's a quirky, fun little mini pedal. Yeah. It's something that's a little out there. You can do some, some cool stuff with it. Uh, yeah. yeah sure. Also, I'm well, way into modulation these days. Yeah. Um. So you got to make shit move in front for sure. I would probably go. Um, get some wiggle. Yeah. Wiggle. Make it wobble. I would probably wobble. I'd probably wobble a couple of these joints if we're staying in the walrus realm for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Juliana and and Polychrome. I mean, I'm not totally a flanger guy. Or or maybe the if you want to go real weird, the walrus, uh, the Kangra, Jared Sharp's fuzz with the modulation, like that's kind of a cool thing. Well, one. I would even maybe go. This is a little less flexible because no blend control. Oh, Classic. yeah, dimension no C. You don't need anything with that. You just um, push the button, turn it on, baby. So, well, and, and the only thing that's been, sorry, go ahead, Zach. Well, I was just gonna say, uh, we got to get this thing a number. Oh, we yeah, gotta, yeah, we got to rate this. All right. All right, I'll go first. Okay, but before I give a number, I'm gonna say the last thing that's spooking me here, though, is I would still do amp in a box something. Oh, interesting. Yeah, sure. Um, because I just saw my angry Charlie over there and it made me think about it, but I would probably do something from the Friedman line, potentially. Um, The BE would be too much for this poor little five watt amp. So I would probably do the Buxom Boost or I would do, well, that's more of a boost. It's not really a, uh, then maybe something in the the cornerstone-y, dumbly thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something to like give it a little more harmonic content and be able to like freak a second channel into it. Mm -hmm. Outside Outside of that, yeah, I mean, I could just keep naming pedals but you're right we should we should we should number this thing <laughs> all right what's the what's the system what's the rate all right, so it's out of 10 so it's right. number point number shoyles shoyles is a proprietary unit of measure uh, that we've yeah. developed here at dipped in tone yeah um so like i said i think my move is leave the top row open uh and we sell the prs we get an acoustic in there and we just Oof. spend time in the shed for the next year before we buy anything else. I'm going to give this 7.6 shoils. Wow. Solid rig for a year in. I mean, come on. That's that's killer. Great rig. Uh, yeah. Wow. Aaron, you want to you want to number it or you want me to go? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't the um, speak from your heart, man. It's all good. Well, then if honestly, I'm not selling any guitars. Okay. And you're allowed to pedal shop if you want. Clearly, you have money. Yeah. Um. But you. But definitely make sure you practice. Um. I'll give it an eight. I'm giving it Ooh. a flat eight. Flat eight. eight in the soils. sense that I'm just really impressed with one year in. Yeah, you you're drinking some internet Kool Aid, but you have good taste and you care, and that's what that's what's most important. You really care. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think an eight is a great number it's a solid rig uh and and i think the prs is a bit redundant uh so either you know let, i mean let go of one of the double humbuckers maybe look at uh getting a p90 guitar i mean it's so insane for me to even say like that's why i didn't say like sell a guitar or anything the concept of me saying redundant when like <laughs> this is happening over here and yeah like, but you've been playing for happening. longer than 12 months 
Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. But like the two, the two SIGs with the seafoam is really like the word redundant is excluded from this conversation for me. So yeah, well, uh, you're in a slightly different position than our, our lawyer. Well, friend. yes. And uh, you'll be able to own as many of these as you like from the USA custom shop from Schecter in the new year as well. So Sweet. if you'd like to be that redundant, please feel free <laughs> to be that redundant. To think that we're calling this guy lawyery and then knowing what I've spent and what I have uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. show on I mean, the internet, I'm like, damn, what do people right say? Here? Dude, the <laughs> craftsman, the craftsman is filled with pedals. Yeah. Pot <laughs> this whole, kettle. Yeah. And then like both of those quantum cases, three apiece, so six total, all full. That's full. That's crazy. There's guitars in those cases. Crazy. There's other stuff. Also, <laughs> the room is filled with mechanical keyboards like i can't oh, like i literally can't even yeah dude it's it's a whole oh my god it's a whole oh he yes what a killer build dude check this out hold on a second i gotta flex i gotta flex the intervals logo on, on this guy yo peep game yeah i guess right, i gotta anyway. get into the the clicky clack thwoppy <laughs> world or whatever the hell you guys call it with the i mean check my rate my setup here we Beautiful. got just the classic mac you got a white stick. Um, <laughs> so, Aaron, before we get out of here real quick, give us uh, some plugs. What's coming up for intervals in uh, in the new year? Um, got a brand new record. Uh, release date is currently a moving target. Mm, I'm hoping. Mm, I would I I would be pretty bummed if the second quarter starts before it's out uh, of 2024. So so gunning for. Well, wait, is my math off? Yeah, it's going to be early second quarter. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'm going to be bummed. But no, we made uh, we made a record at Sweetwater, which is insane in Studio A. And um, it I'm going to I'll send you guys an early list. And um, it turned out incredible. Everyone worked really hard. Um, there is one um, song that came out at the beginning of our tour with Tesseract back in October. It's called Mnemonic. You can stream it on all platforms. You can find a visualizer for it on YouTube. Uh, there are seven more joints where that came from. Um, We've got a tour that's about to announce um, March, April, which is a co-headliner. Uh, I'm not going to say exactly who it's with yet, but stay tuned. That'll be announced shortly from the time of recording this. Um, that's a March, April co-headliner in North America. And then in May, Intervals is doing nine shows with Mammoth WVH, which is awesome. So. Nice. Uh, we will be actually in Nashville at the Brooklyn Bowl and awesome. uh, no Atlanta show on that one. But I am playing Masquerade on my tour, which is right before that. Hell yeah. So 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 I've got those coming up. And then, um, yeah, the record is going to basically drop hopefully right in between those um, tons of video content, uh, more variants of my Diamond series with Schecter, the inaugural models of my uh, USA line as well, six and seven string um, coming from the, the Schecter USA custom shop, as well as my signature pickups, which I've painstakingly spent time on with them as well. So all of that stuff available in the new year. And then just continuing to globetrot, hoping for more clinic opportunities so I can come and spread the uh, word about those types of things, as well as returning to a lot of international markets with intervals, uh, keeping our eye on the prize for the return to Europe and uh, would love to make it back to India and Asia and all the places that we were in before the world uh, slowed down for a little while. So that's basically the machine is on brand new record and we're, we're hell yeah. So busy, man. Awesome. 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 Thanks so much, dude. This has been a blast. Can't wait to have you on again. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, guys. Talk soon, dude. See ya. See ya. Man, Aaron's one of those guys I could I could talk to him all day. 
yeah, yeah. I, I really, uh, I hope everyone plugged in with all the the business talk and that sort of infrastructure talk. I think all that's really important and mm-hmm. something that even even if you're just like a weekend warrior or you have aspirations of doing these things, it, it's really good to hear someone who is a professional doing it at his level uh, kind of give a little peek behind the curtain because we haven't really talked a lot about some of that stuff. Yeah, it's it's encouraging, at least to me, because it's it's harder nowadays to make a living as a musician, yeah. uh, and especially as a you know fronting an original band or putting your own music out there. And I think Aaron is an example of how you do it in today's world. He's really got his shit together and knows yes. what he's doing, and he's incredibly smart. Um, so yeah, tons of respect to him. Go check out Intervals. We'll have all their stuff linked down below. Uh, what they've got coming up in the new year and uh tour dates and all that kind of stuff and thanks to aaron for joining us today all right yeah. shills what yeah you got? uh so you were here uh, when we did our episode and you saw my bass yep. and this is something i've been wanting to do and i'm just shilling i don't even know if i've shown this bass Ooh. but i put a new pick guard on it hey. <laughs> and uh i'm a big fan of modding things i can't leave well enough alone you guys know this uh but i put a pick guard on this fender p bass and this is um you guys, if you follow me on YouTube, have probably noticed I'm trying to step up all my little tracks and things. And I've been playing this. I don't always film myself playing the bass, but I'm always putting some tracks on there. But I think guitar players, if you don't have a bass, get a bass and yep. have one in your arsenal and make it look the way you want it to look. I think this looks rad. I, I instantly became a better guitar player when I started playing bass. Yeah. That's not a joke. Like it immediately overnight. I started in like 2015. And uh, immediately it made me a better guitar player because it taught me to start listening differently when I'm playing. I was paying attention to the rhythm section and realizing that as a guitar player, I'm part of the rhythm section, not just playing on top of the rhythm section. Yeah. Um, And it's fun, man. Bass is fun. It is very fun. And I think that it's like sometimes for me, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get one of the, like the Yurt Rock drum loops or something and I'll start piecing together uh, a, a song. And instead of picking up a guitar to start, I'll pick up the bass and that will sometimes inform music and directions that I never thought I would go. Yeah. So I think it's a really, it's a useful tool and you know, like you can get a, a used Fender P bass or something um, for not much money. And it's like, I don't know, even uh, this for some players might be a little long scale, but it's a classic sound. It's just a useful a, thing to get have. Get a short scale bass. Or, get, like yeah, a get a Mustang or something like that. Yeah. Um, like you had in your Nashville video, you posted mm-hmm. up with McKinley showcasing her. Our, our good friend yeah but yeah. yeah what you got all right so i've actually got it's it's a plug-in but it's also a microphone okay so what? um i've been doing a lot more mixing and producing here kind of behind the scenes I, I produce a few artists and have done some some of that stuff this year um produced an ep for for my friend Roofman here and so i've been getting more into mixing and i've always considered myself not a mix engineer but i'm trying to change that it's something i want to make start working on so i'm working in a bedroom like sort of a 12 foot by 16 foot bedroom here it's not sonically the best space ever so a few weeks ago i purchased uh this plugin the sound id reference plugin and then ordered this microphone to go with it and it's magic basically it's a it's a, a room correction plugin so you get this reference mic, you plug it into your system, and the the plugin runs this whole diagnostic thing where you're kind of pointing the mic around and it's taking all these different measurements and you tell it, you know, where your speakers are and everything. And then it imparts this EQ curve on 
your mixes or what I have is just I, I have it installed on my Mac. And so everything I'm listening to from a podcast to a YouTube video to music or what I'm mixing goes through this correction curve. And it basically measures your room and it knows everything that's wrong. So for instance, I have a really big problem with bass buildup in this room, like right around 140 Hertz. There's like a huge bump at 140 in here. And so it just does the opposite and it EQs the output of your speaker to try and compensate for working in sort of an improperly treated or sized space. And dude, honestly, it works. Like I was in the middle of a mix when I installed it and went through the whole thing and immediately I was like, oh, I got to start making changes. And um, if you saw, I did a, a posted a cover of Dreams that we recorded at UA right, on yeah. my YouTube channel. Yep. And that was the mix that I was working on. And I've gotten quite a few compliments on how that mix came out. And I just found a bunch of problems that I wasn't aware of before because I couldn't hear it in my room. It also has, if you don't have speakers, they have... Um, built-in profiles for headphones. So the mm. Sennheiser headphones that I normally use, they have a curve for that specific model of headphone so that you can mix in a acoustically transparent way on the headphones. I'm a huge fan. Again, not sponsored in any way. I paid full price for it and I ordered their reference microphone too. So you can uh, treat multiple spaces, but yeah, sound ID reference. It's pretty great. Very cool. Very cool. Well, before we get out of here again, Thanks to all our patrons over on Patreon. We appreciate your support. And if you want to learn about supporting the show Dipped in Tone, click the link in our description uh, below and you can learn all about the tiers and uh, joining the community that's starting to transition and live over there on that Patreon app. Yep. And thanks to Stu Mac for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to visit uh, stumac.com slash Dipped in Tone. Get your holiday shopping either done for someone else or for yourself over on Stu Mac. That's right. Awesome. All right. Well, we will uh, see you guys on the next one. All right. See ya. See ya.